Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Either looking back at it now, I've a very good decision going to going to Livingston. This is uh, this is something that I was surprised by watching your Livingston. I've, I think a lot of people had you pigeonholed as a certain type of midfielder. I'm not going to lie, there were aspects of your game which I've seen that at Livingston this past season, which which surprised me. Uh, speed, taking on players in uh, advanced positions, scoring goals. How has your role changed since your move, or has it not? And you've just been able to express yourself a bit more at Livy. Yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm a player that you know when I'm asked to do a certain role, then I, I do it to the best of my ability. Um, when I was at, at Burnley and, and Bournemouth, especially, you know, I was more of a box to box midfielder. Um, it was only really when I came to to Scotland that I was put in that kind of holding midfielder. You know, don't kind of move and just just be a protector, which I'm more than happy to do. You know, as I said, I'll do any I'll do any position on the pitch to the best of my ability because I love playing the game. Um, coming to Livingston this season, you know, I spoke to to Davy Martindale and, and, and the gaffer, um, and they said, you know, we just want you to go enjoy your football again. Um, you know, we, we, I think we started with a four-two-three-one, which allowed you know one one of the holders to go, so to speak, and the other one to sit in, and then it would work the same if, if the other hold if the other holder went forward, I would I would sit in. But yeah, I'm, I'm probably allowed to express myself a little bit more because of the formation. Um, you know, it allows me to do that, and I've you know I played right at the diamond a couple of times this season, and I said I always give give my best, but it's you know I, I was used to going kind of box to box when I did play down in England. It was only really when I came to Hibs that I was put in that holding midfield role, and you had you know two other midfielders who would go and support the attacks. So there was no need for me to do that. Where at Livingston, you, as you said, there I got a little bit more freedom to to get about the place and and kind of express myself. 
we're, we're going to chat about Livingston separately because I want to do a separate podcast just on Livingston. The last two seasons, I've they've probably been my favourite team to watch, just the, their approach to football. People obviously have a preconception of Livy. When you moved there, is, is, there, is there something that, you, that, that surprised you, didn't, you didn't really expect? The, the players are, are, are better technically than they were ever, ever given credit for. Um, you know, as you said, people always say about the Livy style, this, that, and the other, the long ball and whatever else. There are some technically gifted players at this football club. Um, you know, when we do get the ball down and we do move the ball, you know, we move it as good as as good as some other team, but we, we're not given that respect because they're saying, oh, because we can mix it up, because we, we do play to percentages sometimes, that's just how we're labelled. Um, but, you know, coming into the into the training and, and, and some of the matches and seeing, you know, the way the boys move the ball about, especially when we attack in third, has been has been mind-blowing at times. And if that those moves would have been you know, performed by a Celtic, a Rangers, uh, Aberdeen, a Hibs, um, you know, then people would have looked at it and been like, wow, look at that. But because it's, it's Livingston, you know, oh, let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about when I use a long throw. Trying to move away from Livingston, but I've got to ask you about Lyndon Dykes. You have, you've built up quite a good uh, relationship with him at the club. Who's been the better signing this season, you or him? <laughs> the big Dykes scene. No, listen, he's a, he's, a, he's a fantastic, fantastic player, um, but an even better person. And, and the best thing about Lyndon is he's he's very grounded. Um, you know, he's he's come through a different route from Australia to Queens to, to where he is now. Um, and he's he's one of those that's always doing extra. You know, he's always trying to improve his game. So I'm I'm so happy that he's got the rewards uh, on the pitch because he you know he's taken some games by the scruff of the neck and he's chased lost causes. But in answer to your question, I am the better signer. <laughs> uh, I'm the best signer in the league this this season. <laughs> <laughs> That, that, that's fine. I've, yeah, you've self-appointed yourself as captain and uh, you've self-appointed yourself as best sign of the season. That's fine. <laughs> one, thing, one thing I really enjoy about yourself and Dykes and watching Livingston is that when you go on the pitch, you, sh- you really seem to just, just love playing football, really enjoying yourselves. And you love to have a bit of, you love to insert a bit of needle into games with opposition players. What, what's the chat like on the pitch between uh, opposition players? Is, is there a lot or is, is it just little niggles here and there? Um, no, some, some, some players like to talk more than they play. Um, yeah, some, some, some do try and wind up and give it the big end and, and whatever else. But no, majority of the time it's, you know, it, it, it's good humoured stuff. And, you know, when the final whistle's gone, they're shaking of hands. Um, there's been a couple of boys who have, you know, I won't mention, have got uh, moves up to, to bigger clubs and they've, they've kind of developed this attitude as, as if they are, you know, Messi or Ronaldo. And that, that's probably frustrated me a little bit, you know, because when you played against people a couple of times at different clubs and you think, oh, do you know what? Um, he's a really good guy to them playing against him when he's at his new club and, and suddenly, you know, he's got an attitude problem and he wants to give it this and that and, and not really talk. And when he does talk, he's probably being disrespectful. Um, yeah, so but not no. I said normally it's all right. I think the 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 worst shout I've heard from a player on the pitch this season was somebody saying, you know, I'm worth seven million, and you're I'm worth seven million, and your whole team's worth nothing. I'm worth more than your whole team. And uh, that that player who said that on the team he was, we actually beat them that day. So you know, he's probably seven million that no one should be paying uh, for him. 
There's there is a player who's signed for seven million, but I don't think he beat Rangers this season. So uh, I think I'll, I'll leave the listeners to work that one out. <laughs> what what so what's your approach when you go on the pitch when it comes to talking uh, talking with opposition players? Is are you, are you just basically just focus on your own game, or are you uh, open to mind games and trying to put other people off? No, I don't, I don't say a word. You know, I'm not good enough to talk and play at the same time. Um, so I just I just leave people to it. You know, if someone wants to have a chirp at me, then I'll, sometimes I'll give stuff back. But I'll never be the one to start a, a conversation where I'm I'm trying to get a player off their mind or you know, sorry, off their game um, or get in the player's mind. That's 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 not that's not me. You know, I try and do my talking on the pitch and as I said, fully concentrate on, on on the job in hand. Don't get me wrong. From time to time, I've had conversation with players because you know, they wanted to to say something first, but. Uh, on a whole, you know, that's not something that, that that I do or go about or, you know, have time to even concentrate on because if I'm concentrating on talking to them, then I'm slightly off my game. I've just realised who that, I think I've realised who that player is who was. <laughs> you don't think have you? <laughs> no, I, I was thinking, I was like, I'm sure there's someone else that moved in the summer for seven million and then it clicked, it was uh, Mr. Mr. Julian, I think. Um, but I, I won't ask you to confirm that. There... So before we move on to talking about your coaching courses and doing a bit of punditry, I wanted to ask you about just about Scottish football in general. There's a lot of intricacies about it. It's an unusual place. And having been part of it for a good few years now, what's your view on Scottish football as a whole? And has that altered since since you first arrived? Um, it's not altered because I, I came up here with a, with, a, with a clear mind and, you know, I didn't have you know, perception of what I thought it would be like. I think that down in England, a lot of people disrespect the league. Um, I think it's looked upon as, as being low quality and this, that and the other. But they're, they're never players who have played in both. You know, it's always it's always the armchair fan. You know, it's Fat Dave who sits on his on his laptop and writes stuff on Twitter. You know, it's never anyone who's probably even like watched more than two gates, Scottish games live or anything like that. Um so yeah, for me personally, you know, I, I think it's it, it's 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 a really good league. It's a competitive league. Um, don't get me wrong. There's a there's a range of, of of teams in terms of the quality, but there's a range of budgets as well. Um, so you know, you've got Celtic and Rangers at the top end of it, and at the bottom end of it, you've got well, I, I wouldn't even put Hearts down there because you know they've had a, a, a catastrophic season, but they're not a, a terrible team. But you know, if you look at the league table, it would be Hearts and, and Hamilton. I think were the bottom two. Um, so yeah, you know, there's, there's a there's a, a variety of, of, of teams and, and quality, um, and that's probably why it's given that kind of perception down the road that you know you watch some games and they think oh this team's terrible, um, or they watch other games and think oh that team's actually alright. Um, but you know teams set up in different ways and they have to set up in different ways because we went head to head with Celtic, head to head with Rangers. We, you know we get beat every single day of the week. You know, we have to try and you know, devise a plan that's going to allow us to to beat them by playing a different way. Yeah, d- definitely. I, I'm obviously a huge fan of uh, Scottish football. And I think the, the the different qualities each team brings, the different budgets, I just think uh, I, it just basically adds to the, the Scottish football experience. Whether yeah. it's playing on the plastic pitch at Livia or the, the, the different stands at Hamilton, or you because you, you, you can go from Hamilton one week to Ibrox the next, and I, I do like that uh, kind of that that difference, and it, it's still I think relatively grounded as well. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, exactly that. Um, I totally agree with every point you made there. 
Um, and that, that's, that's kind of the, the, the great thing about the game, you know. People are going to play different ways. You're going to see different styles of football. Um, and definitely, it's, it's definitely a more grounded uh, league in terms of the, the, the individuals and the, the kind of interaction that, that the majority of the clubs try and have with the local community. Now, getting on to looking ahead to your career after you're playing, you've started to uh, do co- uh, coaching courses and I think you're involved uh, in coaching some of uh, Levy's uh, teams uh, or below the first team. When did you realise you wanted to get into coaching? Um, I remember sitting and having a conversation with Eddie Howe uh, relatively early in my career. It probably been the, the season that he left uh, and I left and, you know, he, he said your career will flash flash before your eyes um he said before you know it you'll be you'll be ready to retire and and you'll be done in in football and he said believe me you know and that's if you have a a full career he said if you get injured like he did he said you know heaven forbid that it doesn't happen to you but you've got to start thinking about what you want to do next and I remember at that point I was like oh whatever but I'm still young you know I'm 22 23 whatever leave me alone I'm gonna be playing football forever um but I got to probably like 24 and I thought to myself do you know what you you do have to start thinking about it. I think I'd seen another another player got injured early. Uh, Martin Patterson, his name was a centre forward at Burnley, and he was struggling with injuries. And he was he was early thirties, and I was thinking, wow, or maybe it's been on. that could happen to me anyway. And I was like, right, from this day forward, you know, because I'd already started writing a few things, like almost like keeping a diary when I was at Bournemouth in terms of administration and whatever else. But I didn't really have that many coaching sessions within it. But from that day forward, you know, I've began to document everything that I think would help me going forward. Um, and, you know, I've got a, a kind of a black book full of stuff, um, scenarios, coaching sessions, how I felt as a player when this was going on, how I would then deal with that as a manager. So as a player, I've got it all written down. And, you know, especially in this lockdown, I've kind of gone back and answered these questions, what I would do as a manager. So for me, that's that, that's helped me. But so I'll say from the age of maybe 24, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of looked forward to the to the next step, which is, really early in terms of, you know, wanting to become a coach and thinking about your career ending. You talk about that, Blackpool, that, that's massive because of the, the different managers you've worked under, the different personalities, that you have a lot of reference points, not just in case of training sessions, but is that, do you, have you also jotted down like incidents that have happened at clubs or how managers have dealt with players and kind of your view on that? Yeah, like literally um, everything like that. Um, and the scenarios are probably more important than, than the coaching sessions because coaching sessions could be found online. Um, you know, the, the, the scenarios I've dealt with, the administration, um, you know, I've played with a player where a manager, they kind of made a threat to him if he was to, 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 to leave the team, that his career would be over and he'd make sure that it's over kind of thing. All, all these kind of things and seeing different players dealt with in different ways. Um, you know, I, I've... I've if I found interest in them or if I've been close enough to them, whether it's, you know, involved me or someone close to me who's been willing to discuss it, um, you know, I've, I've always jotted those things down. So, yeah, you know, the scenarios in there are huge and they're there things money can't buy. You know, their experiences and stuff I've been through that money can't buy. And as I said, you know, there's, I've learned as much from the from the good managers and the good things they've, they've done as I have from the bad ones and seeing them deal with situations and thinking, wow, that's totally wrong. You know, I've jotted it down and, and been like, I will never deal with it in, in, in that way, ever. And what does the, what does a coaching course involve now? How, how long have you been doing it and what kind of stuff does it involve? Um, so I've, I've 
currently uh, I've done my UEFA B, um, and then I'll be stepping on to my UEFA A this summer. So the B is just just the footballing side of things. Um, you know, it's, 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 there's nothing else other than that. Um, looking at tactics, that can maybe put on a training session, make sure making sure you're confident to put on a training session. Um, you know that that sort of thing. Um, my football management course, so business and football manager that I did at Napier University, Ferrer mm-hmm. uh, of Hearts on there, along with you know a few Hibs boys, um, Joe Cardell from Partick Thistle, uh, Liam Craig, and to mention a few. Um, actually, it's Mark Kerr and James McPake, so the air manager, Dundee manager. So they, when they first came on the course, they weren't managers, and then suddenly they both got jobs, which is you know quite quite interesting. But that 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 looks of everything within a football club off the pitch so no coaching nothing like that the business side of it you know how you can evolve the club off the pitch and that's been you know truly helpful for me because these are all things I've never even thought about mm-hmm. you know um, and that's not just from from Stevie Robertson who's who's, who's the, the lecturer that's not just from him putting the things on it's from the discussions that we also have you know we've got 15 or 16 individuals in there who've all played professionally at some point in their career or are still playing so some of the stories that they have, again, money can't buy these things and the experiences um, and the roller coaster wise those players have been on and spoken about has been brilliant. Um, so for me, that was, that, that's, that was a vitally important course for me to go on and I'd highly recommend anyone, um, any footballer goal who has an aspiration to stay within football because I've learned so much things that I wouldn't have even thought about without being on that course. What sort of things? So in terms of, I'll give you an example, like trying to grow, you know, a football club off the pitch. So if we were looking at um, Hearts, for instance, and you're thinking, right, how can we get more fans into this, into this football club? You know, before going on a course, I would have been thinking, right, well, our biggest, you know, the biggest thing we have to, to go up against, our biggest competitor is, is Hibs. You know, the, the next closest football club, maybe a few go to Edinburgh City. But there's all sorts of things that, you know, that you're up against. You know, there's um, the pricing of your tickets. How does that compare to, I don't know, going and watching a film at the cinema as a family Mm -hmm. or going and, you know, playing crazy golf as a family or, you know, the kind of, there's just a variety of things, not just football clubs that you're up against. Um, And we did one based on Warsaw Football Club, which was in Birmingham. And they've got like the ballroom, so the huge indoor shopping stuff. They've got um, the massive trampoline arena that we have in Edinburgh also. So there are all these different things that you have to be thinking about because, yes, dad and mum might enjoy football or mum or dad might enjoy football, but you've got to think about the two kids they're bringing as well and the, and the pricing of it. So, you know, as football clubs, can we put a package together that admits everyone into there? So mum, dad, two children, but also gets them, I don't know, a drink and a, and a hot dog at half time or a drink and a pie. Can we put that all into like a pricing bracket into kind of, a ticket within itself and make that competitive about against what they would be getting if they went to do something else on a Saturday. You know, it's not just about getting the, the fans that are going into hips. It's about the fans that are going elsewhere and finding cheaper alternatives, things to do as a family. I would have never thought that was kind of part of the, the, the football, man, football management course when you, you wouldn't think that managers get involved in that side of the game. So that, that, that's pretty interesting that it's not just... Uh, you, you think that's more of a marketing expertise. Yeah, so, but, but that, that's, what, that's what it's trying to make you think. So it's saying being a football manager, yes, but being a director of football, you'd also be on that sort of course, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're trying to grow the club. You say if you look in a marketing department, but 
for me as, as, as a man and as, you know, one day I hope to be a manager, I'm better suited, you know, speaking to you about, you know, your expertise and what you're doing if I understand it slightly. So if I'm talking cool. to the marketing people at my football club, you know, if I understand what they're going through and, the, you know, what they're up against, whereas before going on that course, for instance, I would have been, oh, what's your, we're only up against, you know, the, the local football team. Now I'm understanding what we're up against. Now I'm understanding why we're not getting as many people in. Now I'm understanding the sort of content we might have to put out there to, you know, to draw in probably the younger crowds or whatever else, you know. There's so many different things to it. And, you know, knowledge is power. And I'm so much better suited to understanding these things if I go on different courses that, yes, you know, some football managers might never use these sorts of things, might never think, oh, this is interesting to me. I'm just concentrating on getting three points on a Saturday. When you're talking about growing up a club, you know, it, it's, there's a lot more to it. And I might go into a role that is a director of football role, not a management role. You know, it kind of opened up my eyes to so many different things within football that I think I might be suited to rather than just pigeon myself to being a coach or manager. You, you mentioned that you had Mark Kerr and James McPeak. Were you in class with them or did, did you speak to them once they'd been in charge at Ayr and Dundee? Yeah, so obviously, uh, Mark obviously got the job a bit later. So he was in class as a, you know, a player um, slash someone who'd done his coaching badges to then he was a United manager, Darren O'Day's another one. You know, he started off, um, I think, playing maybe East Kilbride and then he was yeah. at Motherwell, now at Celtic. You know, so his, his journey has been brilliant and kind of been on a part of, uh, on that path with him and, and talking to him about it. So... Yeah, you know, these, these boys have been more than happy to freely offer up their experiences. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously a secured environment in terms of you can, you can say what you want to say and it won't go any further. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, been, it's been absolutely brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And, you know, to tap into to their heads and, you know, they're in positions now, which I would love to be in one day, has been, it's, it's been fantastic for me and, you know, a huge, a huge learning opportunity that I've kind of grabbed with both hands. Because I was just picturing that they, uh, those two turn up to class and just kind of say to the guys, don't do it, boys. It's, it's, it's a miserable <laughs> existence. Don't do it. No, they still got the enthusiasm and, and, and everything, you know, that, that they had before. And, you know, they're really enjoying it. Um, don't get me wrong, they've both been hit with some challenges um, mm-hmm. along the way. But, you know, we kind of expected that. Um, but to, to hear their stories firsthand is, is invaluable. Um you know, and even with them now dealing with this sort of thing, it's it's, it's a difficult a difficult job for them. Um, but no, they, they they both thoroughly enjoy it, and you know, I, I have no doubt they'll both thoroughly be uh, be be really successful in in what they're doing. Um, and yeah, it's just been great to have them on the course. Really, really good, as well as you know, players um, who are currently playing now. I'm fascinated by the the transition from from player to manager and the, the mindset change that, that brings with it because you see it when a manager gets sacked and it's always said, oh, if you could, you could sack all the players, but you can't because they're, they're contracted. How that there's, there's obviously just much less job security in management than there is as a player. Is that something that you, you thought about or concerns you? Um, no, it doesn't concern me. You know, um, I'll put myself in the best possible position with all the studying that I, I've done to, to this day and I'll do to the day of my first management job. Nothing can ever prepare you for, for doing the actual job. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I want to know everything going into it, but I can best prepare myself um, for that day. Um, and, you know, my mindset as, as, as a player, 
was always, you know, I'm never going to be a Messi or Ronaldo. You know, I'll always try my hardest. I'll always work as hard as I possibly can, which I've done for a vast majority of the time, um, other than obviously the experience at Burnley. Um, but, but but as a coach, um, I, th- I think it's different because there's, there's no glass ceiling really to what you can go on and achieve. Um, as long as you're willing to keep learning and, and you know, I've worked under some managers who, who I spoke about when I said, you know, it's, it's a job to them, it's a job title. Um, but I also worked under managers who football's a lifestyle to them, you know, and those lifestyle managers are the ones who have been a lot more successful. Um, and, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the dedication that, that, that I'm willing to put into it and, you know, I won't fail through the lack of uh, preparation in terms of going into management. I'll fail because, you know, maybe one, I'm not good enough or two, it just wasn't the right fit for me at that, that, that club. Um, but I definitely believe in, in what I'm doing and I definitely believe I can get to where I need to get to. What have you been doing with Livingston just now? and What have you found of your, your, your early experiences coaching players? Um, so I've been I've been doing the reserves, um, which has been which has been really really enjoyable, um, and you know I've, I found the experience, you know, invaluable. You know I've mentioned that word a few times, but this this is another one of those of those scenarios. Um, I think as a player, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to be a good coach. You know, so I don't go into that thinking right. I'm coaching you boys. I'm Marvin Bartley, the player. I've played this amount of games in my career. I've achieved this in my career. So. I must be good at coaching. That's not how it works. You know, yes, as a player, I have a reputation um, because I've, I've played at the level I've played at. Um, but as a coach, I'm a nobody. You know, and I have to remember that. I'm going in there as a nobody. Um, yes, they might respect me a little bit more because they've watched me play before. They've supported a team that I've played for. Okay, that, that's, 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 you know, the first hurdle jump. But there's another 15, 20 hurdles that I need to jump. I need to be good at what I'm doing. I need to be able to take what's in my mind to project it out of my mouth so you understand it. You know, I need to also realise that not every training session is going to be great and some of them are going to be poor and I'm going to have to be big enough man to stop it. You know, I'm going to have to be big enough to take criticism from players who, no disrespect to them, couldn't play against me on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these, are, these are all things that you have to, when going to coaching, you have to accept, especially from player to coach. You know, you have to accept these things. If you don't accept them, amongst other things, then you're going to fail. Because, you know, you're going to have this reputation. Oh, well, I, was, I was this big player. I should get this massive job. Well, no, you were a good player. It doesn't mean you're a good coach. You know, it doesn't mean these players are going to listen to you. And, and that's one thing. When I go to coach those boys, you know, I spend, spend a lot of time planning sessions because I know that when I go in there and put the, the, the sessions on, I'm being judged as a coach. You know, and I, I know people are going to be asking, oh, what's Marvin like? Oh, no, he's a really nice man. Like, yeah, he's a decent player, but his coaching is poor. You know, and that's, that's my next journey. I can't afford for that, you know, reputation to be hanging around me. Oh, he's a poor coach, you know, so I have to put everything into it um, as I do with my player. Just what you were saying about the players and turning up and they, they'll have a kind of expectation of you. Do you want, looking ahead to yourself as a coach, do you want your players to, if not like question you, ask, basically ask why or give, give their opinion rather than basically you telling them what to do and they do it? Definitely. Um, you know, it's so good that you're saying that because the, the, the book I told you I was reading, um, Coaching for Performance, mm-hmm. talks about things like that. You know, I never want to create a, uh, an environment where players are dependent upon me, dependent upon what I say, can't function without my direction. You know, I want to have an environment where players feel they can question what I'm saying and I'll give them the answers. 
You know, an example is I don't want him to come to me and me saying to a player, right, I want to kick that ball into that channel. And him say to me, why? I mean, to say just because. You know, I want to give him an explanation as to why I want him to hit that ball in that channel, what it's going to do for us as a team and what the end goal is then going to be from him doing that or from her doing that, whichever I'm coaching men or women's football. Um, and I think an environment and a culture that I'll, I'll create and I'll aim to create as a manager will be one of those that are open enough for players to question me and, and me to give them the answers and for them to feel comfortable in what they're doing. You know, there's no, there's no, I've been in, I've been in environments where you feel so dependent upon the person who's shouting and directing you from the sides. You know, that's, that's not what I want to do. You know, I want players, yeah, at times I'm going to have to be shouting and instructing and helping moving people around, but I want them to know what they should be doing. You know, if they, if they're not performing what they should be doing, that's fair enough. We won't always have brilliant games, but I never want a player to come off and be like, oh, I wasn't really sure what I should have been doing in this situation because then I failed as a coach and I failed my job. You know, and that's not a, an environment that, that, that I want to have. I want to have a, a, 11 independent players, but when we come together, you know, we're a fantastic team because we all know our jobs, we all know our roles. And by the right back doing his role, it allows the right midfielder to do his role. By the right midfielder doing his role, it allows the striker to do his role. And we're all on the same page. And you don't need 11 fantastic individuals for that. You just need 11 boys or girls who are all on the same wavelength and are all willing to work for each other. Moving on to punditry. What was the thinking behind going or getting into it and going on sports scene? There was there was nothing behind it. Um, genuinely, what happened was um, Doug called me from from Sports Sound in terms of doing the radio, um, and I did that a couple of times um, out of the blue. You know, there was never I had a thought about doing media stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic experience, really enjoyed it. Um, went on with Kenny Miller once. Went on with uh, Mikey Stewart as well. Um, and I played with Stephen Thompson at Burnley. So oh, yeah. he's involved with the with the BBC at, uh, at this point and, and, and doing the presenting and stuff. And one day there was, a, was an opening coming up. He said, would you be interested? And I said, yeah, why not? You know, it's, I've never, obviously I did the stuff with you guys, View from the Terrace, which was recorded. This was live TV, which I didn't know until about 15 minutes before going on air. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but no, listen, it was one of those things. I thought, well, you know, why not? Why not give it a go? You know, I always speak to people and say, oh, no, step out of your comfort zone. Never just go along in your comfort zone because you won't achieve anything. So I'll be a hypocrite to say that and then be like, oh, no, you know what? I don't want to do this, uh, this, this live TV. I don't want to do this or do that. So I said, no, you know, I'll give it a go. And it's something I've enjoyed. You know, it's a different side to football. Um, it's looking at football from a, from a different point of view. But no, I've, I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And, you know, I'm so thankful for everyone for giving me the opportunity to, to do these things. You know, you guys on The View from the Terrace, um, sports scene and, and sports sound also. I can imagine it feeds back into your development as perhaps looking ahead to coaching that you're having to both analyse games your, uh, and then the, the communication aspect as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, it definitely will, will you know, put me in good stead for that. And, and also seeing how managers react and, and kind of how they play the media after games. You know, I, I kind of... When you watch sports scene, all of us do, you know, and a team wins and the manager comes on after, you know, if it's not a team that you support, you're kind of not even concentrating on what's, what's going on. Mm-hmm. But when it's a, a team that's lost, you're like, oh, well, let's see how this manager comes across. Let's see what he has to say. And you might have no interest in the game. You might not even have watched the game. You just heard after that it was 4-0 to one team. And, you, you know, you're instantly drawn to that manager who, who's lost the game. And, you know, for me being on that show, I can kind of see how these managers go about 
their work after a defeat. And, you know, some do it rightly for me and some do it wrongly. So as I've learned from, from managers I've played under and, and coaches and whatever, right and wrong, I'm learning now from managers. When you lose a game, that's when, everyone, when all eyes are on you. And that's when you've got to really probably calm down from what you said to, the, to, to your team in the dressing room and come out and give the message that you want to give. You know, um, and, and I've really learned that from being on the show because I've watched so many, so many manager interviews and, and you know, I, I think we'll put me in good stead. Hopefully I don't lose too many games, but, you know, if I do come up the, uh, on the end of a, of a drubbing, I hopefully can come across afterwards and, and put my point across without, you know, people realising how angry I actually am. Yeah, that, that does seem like it's one of the most difficult aspects of a managerial job, trying to communicate after a bad result because fans want managers to come out and be honest and then they'll, they'll come out and they'll look to shield players and fans will roll their eyes. Then there's incident with Ian Caffrey when he got interviewed after a Rafe Rovers game and he just, he just couldn't string words together and know how he feels. But as a, as a player... And then you're looking ahead to, to management. How do you want your manager to, to deal with a loss? Do you want him to dig you out? Do you want him to say what he said behind closed doors? Or do you want him to kind of put up a shield between you yourself and criticism? Personally, I have no problem with, with, with the manager criticising my performance if he believes that I haven't performed to uh, a level that he expected. Um, but the flip side of that, as a manager, if you're going to criticize individuals then you have to make sure that the stuff that you've been putting into these individuals over the last few weeks on the training field I'm talking about and explaining roles to them has been brilliant because yes to criticize your players that's fair enough and, and me personally Marvin Bartley I accept criticism from a manager if he wants to go and do it publicly because I know if I haven't performed well you know so if, if I know I haven't performed well. I'm not expecting him to go out and say, oh, yeah, then Marvin was okay today. If he wants to say that Marvin was poor and I was a, one of the reasons, one of the factors why we lost the game, then I'll, I'll always say that on the chin. But if the manager's then going to say in that, but during the training week, all we're doing is playing five aside, then I then would have a problem with it. You know, but if, if he's doing everything he possibly can and I'm just not taking on instructions or I'm not performing those, those instructions to a level that I should be, then I'm more than happy to take criticism. And I, and I think as players, sometimes we, we get too caught up on it. You know, oh, the manager's against me. No, the manager's playing you. No manager wants their player to fail. Mm-hmm. No, there's not a single manager out there who'd be like, I want my player to fail. That doesn't happen. So sometimes I think we take it too, too to heart in regards to what they're saying and, oh, the manager doesn't like me. No, he's playing you. She's playing you. You just haven't performed. So just take that on the chin. If it's an opposing manager coming for you, it's slightly different because they don't see you, you know, during the week. They don't know what's going on with you. But if your manager comes out and criticises you, then, as I said, that's fair enough. But he, also had, or he or she has to also make sure that they're doing their job as well during the week and they're giving clear instructions and they're giving a game plan that should have worked if, had you performed to the level they expected you to. Have you been in a dressing room where the, maybe the squad as a whole or players have... Uh, not taken to task the manager, but question the manager about what he said in our post-match press conference. Um, yeah, I, I, I have been. Um, very few speak up, though. Um, very few speak up um, in terms of saying to the manager, "I think this was wrong. I don't think you should have said this." You know, when the manager's not there, a lot, a lot of people will talk. But when there's been very few that will actually say to the manager, well, "I don't agree with that." 
um, which I think you have to be, you know, we, we ask for transparency from, from the manager. So it should be the other way. You know, it should be both ways. If we have a problem, then we should go to the manager and say it, uh, whether that's in a, in an individual basis or if he, you know, we're having a meeting, then, then, then it should be said. Um, I've also had, you know, I've played at teams where the players haven't taken the manager's instructions on because they've been that poor and the team's gone on to do relatively well. You know, and some people will be like, what? How? And Honestly, the, the players have, have self-managed and gone on and did well because the manager is given relatively little instructions and what instructions he is given are poor. You know, so I've seen, I've seen it both ways. Um, I have seen it both ways, but yeah, it's just, it's just one of those things in football, you know, where at times you've got different players and everyone's from kind of a different background. Everyone's had a different career path and, and got different temperaments and different things that motivate them or demotivates them. So a manager's a, you know, being a manager is a very, very tough, tough gig. Um, Cause you know, you have to, you have to know each individual and, and how to get the best out of them. So final question. I uh, seen a tweet you sent yesterday to Rangers uh, of when they signed Yanis Hadji and you said not the content you want to see when you're going to be 34 next season so that obviously suggests that you, you're, you're a big fan of, of Hadji as of sorry go on, on, on you go on you go no 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 I was, was going to say no, like, he's a good player but no go on carry on I just wanted to get your take on the players. It doesn't have to just be attacking players, and, and it can be Livingston players, but the players who you think are maybe underrated in Scottish football, who fans should maybe appreciate next season. Um, it's, it's, it's a difficult one because you know I'm talking about other teams and other good players. I don't know if, whether that their fans appreciate them or not. Mm. Um, for me, you know, Hadji, I saw him at under twenty competition. Um, a few years ago, um, and to be fair, the, the, the Romania team were, were, were fantastic, and, and he was absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, he was he was breathtaking. So, you know, I, I, in terms of social media, you know, I take it with a pinch of salt, and I just yeah. like to be on there and have fun. Um, so I saw Rangers tweet that someone retweeted because I don't actually follow Rangers, and, and you know, I just write what what I'm thinking kind of thing. And there's some fans who probably don't know me, but like, oh, why is he talking? You know, about a Rangers player. I don't. You can play for anyone. You know, you can make a better at Rangers. I rate you as a player. It doesn't make any difference. I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna write it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of him. I think he's, a, he's an extremely good player. Um, but there, there's various players out there, you know, that, that I think are, are good players. Um, you know, you got Ferguson at, at Aberdeen. Um, yeah, I big fan. Players. Yeah, I, I think he's a, he's a, he's a really, really good player. Um, a really good player, and he's, he's interesting to watch. And I remember his goal. At, I think it was against St Mirren. And you know, if that goal's outside of his foot, yeah, and if that scored in the English Premier League, you know that that's that's all over the internet, that's all over social media. Um, you know, that's that's a gift, that's everything. And kind of it was, you know, spoken about for a little while by a few, and then it was kind of brushed under the carpet. I, I think he's a, a fantastic player. I like Smith as well. He plays for Hearts. Um, I think he's been involved. Without being disrespectful in some a couple of, of, of poor teams, um, but he's always he's always stood out to me as as, as a good player. Michael Smith, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's I think he's one of the the few players at the, at the club that the fans largely actually like. Yeah, he well, he's played in a, a variety of positions, and yeah. and, I, and I, I enjoy watching him. I think he he comes across as again as a boy who gives a hundred percent no matter where he's put. Um, you know, he's, he's going to give it his all for the club. 
But I, I was just thinking the other day, someone was asking me about, um, you know, kind of my heart's 11. Like, and I've, when, I, when I put different players in, there's, there's been some good players that I've played against there. But, but Smith for me, yeah, in the last season, I think it's been, been fantastic. There's a few Livingston boys that are underrated, um, for sure. You know, people don't really kind of see what they're doing. John Guthrie's, and John Guthrie's a, a centre-half that I hammer every day in training and tell him that he's terrible. But if I'm honest, he's been fantastic, you know, throughout yeah. this season. Um, yeah, I do. I remember when Levy signed him last season, or sorry, in the summer, and there was yeah. quite a few Walsall fans tweeted the club or tweeted the announcement and basically uh, weren't weren't overly um, positive about him. But I think he's he's been absolutely fantastic when you consider the players he has filled in for. They've obviously Craig Halkett and Declan Gallagher left. He's been really consistent. Yeah. The, the The biggest one that I found transformation from last season is Stephen Lawless. Yeah, Steph, he's been he's been absolutely brilliant. He's hit about 100 penalties, mind, but no, he's been, <laughs> he's, been a, he's been a brilliant player. And you know, I remember him from before, um, watching Partick, and, and, and he always had ability, you know, always had ability. And I think he's just come into a team um, this season where, you know, he's been allowed to kind of express himself. Mm-hmm. And this is why I talk about football, you know, and, and, and people talk about individuals. And, you know, as a team, Livingston, we finished fifth in the league. But... I don't think any individual within that team could have had a better season than had they been elsewhere. No matter where they, where you put them, no matter where they go. And as some people say to me, oh, what about this player? What about that player? Yeah, they, they suit our style. Mm-hmm. You know, our whole you know ethos and, and the way we play and whatever else is perfectly suited to, to, to them playing. That's why, you know, going away from Livingston, you see players go from one team to another and you're like, wow, he's not the same player. Kind of like Warsaw, John Guthrie. When he was there, they were hammering him. He's no good. This, that, and everything. He comes into our team. He looks a million dollars because people around him, the style we play, you know, and, and that's what I mean. It's the same with managers. Paul Heckenbottom at Hibs. Some people are like this guy's terrible. But I wouldn't be surprised in three years' time if he's managing the English Premier League because it's just, it's just, it's just where you are. And you're at the right place at the right time. It doesn't always happen that way. Um, but but yeah, I mean, Stiv's been brilliant. Dykes, he's been been brilliant. You know. The, just to name a few, uh, Martin Boyle at, at Hibs has been a revelation since his, you know, his knee injuries. Um, he's come back. He's got that hunger. Um, his his progress, back. his progress in signing for Hibs has been absolutely astronomical. He's, he's he's just such a his 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 pace scares the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's absolutely lightning, and and the thing is, he now uses it. To, to you know to his advantage he's always had that pace and he just didn't know how to use it and now he's developed how to use it and you know what the injuries have probably done him some benefit where he sat on the side of football probably watched a bit more football got a bit more hunger about himself and thought right when I go back this time I'm going to use you know my pace and whatever else and he's been, he's been absolutely brilliant um, I, I feel sorry for him this I feel sorry for him this summer because the Copa America I was really looking forward to seeing him at the Copa America it's just yeah. so strange seeing Martin Boyle at Copa America. I know, it's absolutely crazy to think, you know, he would have been playing in that. And, you know, that's obviously like something that I was also wanting to see, you know, him, Jamie McLaren as well. You know, see these boys go and play on, on that stage would have been fantastic. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's so difficult to, you know, for me as their friends, they're not seeing them go. So I don't know how they must be feeling. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think they're going to have, both of them will have, you know, some great times in football between now and the end of their career. Anyway, and I think the Copper's been moved to next year now, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, hopefully they'll get to get to play in that then. 
I've just realised I've got one final question. It's a quick one. It's from a, a Sean McGuigan, and he's asked, what is the best TV show you've appeared on? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> the, the best, the best. The, the most chilled is a view from the terrace. Um, I'll say the non-live. The best non-live view from the terrace. Uh, the best live sports scene. There you go. A, ve- a very <laughs> diplomatic answer. Well, <laughs> the By your reaction when you're, when you're on our show and you're reading out some of the awards, uh, you had no idea what to expect. No, not, I had honestly zero idea. Um, I quickly got to the gist of things and, you know, knew kind of knew what was going to happen. But yeah, reading the awards, I had no idea. And I was, I was reading them in my head like two or three times to be like, do they really want me to say this? Is this really what this says on here? I, you know, suddenly I can't read. Um, but no, it was, it was brilliant. What an experience. And, and seeing my, my friend Robert as well slide down his chair when I was looking for him. Um, yes, I've, I've never seen someone both move so quickly downwards, but also change colour at the same time. <laughs> oh, absolutely great. It was, it was a great time. <laughs> Well, Marvin, thanks very much. I, I, these, uh, I think we've been on for about two hours and they've flown by. Oh, it's no been, uh, I've absolutely loved this. So thanks very much for taking your time to speak to us uh, and all answer the very, uh, very wide range of questions. No, I've enjoyed it, honestly. Um, I didn't even know it had been two hours myself. No, it's been, it's been absolutely brilliant. Um, so thank you for having me on and keep up the great work. I listened to Graham Matthew. I'm sorry, I was speaking to Graham Matthew, so I'm going to listen to his one. When is his one out yet? Or is it his, coming out? His, his first one's out. So the first one about him being a sporting director, that's, uh, that came out uh, last night, I think it did, and then second part right. maybe next week. Right, so I'll listen to that first part and, and hammer him on Twitter. That's perfect. Yes, please do. <laughs> Magic there, uh, Marvin. Thanks very much for coming on, and uh, I'm sure we'll uh, speak soon. No, definitely. Take care. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.